Hello, David. In our last podcast, we discussed the big downside miss to US payrolls, but that was followed by a big upside surprise on US inflation. What's going on? Hi, Alex. Uh, It was expected that base effects would push inflation higher, but the April US consumer price inflation report was still a huge upside surprise for the market. So headline annual inflation was 4.2%, but the big surprise was a 0.9% rise uh, month over month in core inflation. And core inflation excludes volatile uh, food and energy uh, prices. Now, much of that rise in core inflation was due to price gains in reopening sectors. So we saw um, an increase in prices for uh, staying at hotels, in airfares. And and we also saw a a record 10% rise on the month in used car prices. so, you know, quite a lot of these increases one would expect to fade over time, but the monthly pace of inflation in the US is on an upward uh, trend. Over the past six months, um, if you take those monthly figures, then the inflation rate is running at around about 5% on an annualized uh, basis. And, and signs of upward inflation pressures are pretty widespread. We've got booming housing markets. Uh, rising commodity and factory prices, uh, surging shipping costs, we've got supply bottlenecks, um, e- even wages are proving somewhat sticky, um, despite still relevate, uh, relatively uh, elevated levels of uh, unemployment. Uh, the initial market reaction to the inflation print was a 10 basis point spike in the yield on the 10-year US Treasury to 1.7%, and that compares to a, a sort of low of around 1.55% after the um, payrolls report and and it's since sort of settled in a range around about you know around the 1.65 percent level but inflation break-evens have, have stayed higher so actually real yields have, have moved a bit lower um all in i think the bond market is giving the benefit of the doubt that the pickup in inflation is mostly transitory and, and, and not enough to force the hand of the fed uh, but I, th- I think investors are still trying to work out just how big is inflation risk, how the Fed might react and, and what are the broader investment implications. So in terms of the debate on whether high inflation is transitory or not, where do you stand? Well, I think the first point to make is to try and clarify what is meant by transitory, especially by the Fed. I mean, how high and for how long does inflation need to be? Uh, before it is no longer considered uh, transitory. In my mind, I think, you know, part of the answer to that question lies in inflation expectations. Inflation expectations are, are, are crucial as they can embed even transitory price increases into more persistent inflation. And the latest University of Michigan survey um, of households showed a, a sharp jump in consumer expectations for inflation next year to 4.6%. That's its highest level since 2011. Uh, longer term inflation expectations have also been moving higher, uh, currently uh, above um, 3%. I, I don't think these are levels that will be too worrying for the Fed. But you know, actual inflation continues to move higher and stays elevated, then I think inflation expectations will will follow. And, you know, we do think that US inflation will be you know, closer to 3% than the Fed's 2% target through next year, given the strength of the US uh, recovery. Uh, the US economy is already you know, close to its pre-pandemic output level. Uh, by the end of this year, we think it's going to be running above its sort of estimated long-run capacity level, and it's going to be growing above trend through 
2022. And, you know, as a result of some of the extraordinary intervention we've seen by the US government, but other governments elsewhere in labour markets, we're seeing supply mismatches. I think wage pressures can potentially build before the economy gets back to pre-pandemic levels of unemployment. And you, you mentioned the April US payroll report, which was you know, a, a big disappointment to the downside in terms of uh, job gains, but it did show a surprising sort of pickup in monthly hourly earnings. And I think that is consistent with the view that you know, the labor market could be tighter than some of the headline numbers suggest. So you know, I'm in the camp that says, yeah, some of these supply-related you know, reopening spikes in prices will fade over time. But with the US economy in particular running hot, a fed behind the curve and more fiscal stimulus in the pipeline, I think the recent pickup in inflation is going to be a trend that will persist into next year and that the inflation risk is skewed to the upside. We expect inflation to be higher over the next 18 months or so. But what about over the longer term? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. And, and I think really is at the core of the inflation debate for a lot of uh, investors. It's not so much whether inflation will be higher or lower than expected over the near term, although that will have uh, you know, market implications. But, you know, are we on the cusp of a new inflation regime that potentially extends beyond um, the US? Many commentators you know, declared the death of inflation um, since the global financial crisis. And it's been true that, you know, since then, we've been in an era of low growth, you know, very low inflation of QE infinity, lower for longer um, interest rates. But, you know, perhaps a legacy of the pandemic and the extraordinary policy response to it, as, as well as some of the trends that were emerging pre-COVID, but arguably have been accelerated by, um, you know, the response, uh, both policy-wise and politically to COVID, um, does mean that inflation could come back to, to, to life. So, you know, some of these trends, declining working age populations, uh, a kind of populist shift, if you like, in favour of labour over capital, deglobalisation, um, you know, could mean higher inflation over the medium um, term. Certainly, I think the pandemic has reinforced the sort of political and public pushback against unfettered globalisation. I think there is going to be a greater focus on policies that, you know, address inequality that in effect at least try to raise the sort of share of income that's going to um, labour. Um, you know, the weakening in labour bargaining power and the savings glut that was associated with you know, the integration of China and other emerging markets into the global economy, I think is uh, starting to fade. China's working age population is starting to shrink as it has been in a number of developed uh, countries and so you know the dependency ratio is increasing. The you know the, the dependency ratio is the number of in effect kind of consumers relative to producers or, or, or workers um, is is on the rise, and I think that will place some upward pressure on real interest rates as retired workers draw down on savings, and it also implies you know a, a sort of relative labour. Um, scare, scarcity. Uh, have to be a bit careful about the demographic argument because you know we can look at Japan. It has an aging population, but we know that Japan hasn't been experiencing um, high inflation. The, the 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 opposite, in in fact. Nonetheless, I I do think that some of the big secular disinflationary forces over the last thirty or forty years, you know, globalization, 
rising uh, labour supply and profit share are starting to fade. Uh, we still have, you know, technology, automation continuing to bear down on um, prices. But, you know, I, I do think that on balance, we are looking at an environment where, you know, we could be moving into um, a, a higher inflation regime. It's not a very satisfactory response uh, in the sense that, you know, I, I think one has to be sceptical about how high a conviction any of us can have in terms of the long term outlook for inflation you know, given the complex dynamics of these forces. But for the first time in several years, I do think the risk of higher inflation is skewed to the upside over the medium term. So, David, what are the investment implications of higher inflation? I think in the near term, uh, the key is how central banks, and particularly the Fed, react to higher inflation. Um, Under the Fed's average inflation targeting approach, yeah, it will allow the economy to run hot and wait until inflation is above its target and, and, and is above its target for possibly a year or more before hiking interest rates. Uh, the first step will be tapering the Fed's $120 billion per month bond buying program. I think that will start early next year, but will be announced later this year. And, and as we've previously discussed, Alex, you know, the exit from QE will be well flagged, but I, I still think it's going to be a source of market volatility. In terms of the outlook for interest rates, the market is currently pricing the first Fed rate hike in Q1 of 2023, and then more or less one hike per quarter, with the Fed funds rate peaking at around about two and a quarter, two and a half percent sometime in 2025. But by being reactive rather than proactive and only responding once inflation is sustainably above the target, I think the danger is that once the Fed starts raising rates, the pace of rate hikes will be you know, faster and the end point higher than is currently priced. And that's especially the case if inflation expectations are, are rising. So you know, I still think that nominal and real or inflation-adjusted US interest rates will be meaningfully higher than implied by forwards. And so in our opinion, I think that you know, investors should still maintain a short duration bias in their portfolios. Um, and, and I do think that rising US real rates will weigh on growth stocks. And, and given the dominance of tech in US equity markets in particular, I think that could prove a catalyst for um, a broader equity market correction, even if that is relatively short-lived. Um, in a rising inflation environment, typically commodities and emerging market debt uh, actually typically do well. We've, we've, we've seen that um, in, in recent weeks as inflation uh, sort of pressures have, have been increasing. Looking further ahead, if we are indeed at the end of the lowflation regime, I think we will see you know, fewer higher, highly correlated risk on risk off moves in global markets that, you know, have been triggered by these periodic deflation scares and, uh, you know, markets chasing the sort of on off tap of central bank liquidity. And if that's the case, then I think asset prices are going to be much more responsive to uh, fundamentals. I think we'll see greater dispersion, I think less correlation in asset returns. So I think from an investor perspective, it's it's almost a kind of back to basics for investors uh, looking at fundamentals and looking at uh, valuations and getting benefits from um, diversification. 
And finally today, David, a question that I can't resist asking. Does the volatility in cryptocurrencies have broader market implications? Yeah, I mean, we've witnessed you know, pretty spectacular volatility in cryptocurrencies in recent days. Um, Bitcoin was down almost a third in intraday trading before rebounding to close only a, a, a modest uh, 10% down on the uh, day. Um, it's, it's about 40% down from its peak in mid-April, but it's still 35% up since the start of the year. And, you know, it's, it's clearly showing a lot of volatility. Uh, for the purposes of disclosure, I should say that, uh, you know, I, I am a bit of a cryptocurrency sceptic. Um, you, know, you know, these are so-called currencies that are not underpinned by a, an underlying claim on a government or other entity or asset, have very limited transactional use, and, and as we've been discussing, are far too volatile to be a store of value. And, yeah, cryptocurrencies supposedly you know, were to hedge against central banks printing too much money, debasing currencies and runaway inflation. Yeah, we've seen cryptocurrencies crashing when inflation fears are on the rise, as we've been um, uh, discussing. So, you know, cryptocurrencies really are behaving more like a, you know, pretty speculative risk on asset. But with, you know, more than a trillion dollar market cap, there clearly are spillovers to other markets, certainly in terms of risk sentiment. And for some assets, you know, I think there's some shared exposure to, um, you know, uh, particular segments of, of retail investors, some of and, and, and some leverage exposure as, as, as well. Um, but I don't think the volatility in crypto has systemic implications. And I don't think it's going to be a catalyst for a broader sell off in risk assets. That said, I, I do think it's indicative of what I think is building as a kind of broader picture or phenomenon uh, across the market is where we've seen sort of segments of froth and speculation. I think we're starting to see that kind of get deflated as we approach peak growth and an inflection point in uh, US monetary policy later this year. Thanks for your time today, David, and speak to you in June. Thank you, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.